What's up, NFL fans? Welcome back to a week three episode of the Fans First Football Show. I am Jeff Hartman, joined by Rob Stats Guerrero. Rob, your team didn't even play. You played on Thursday night. I mean, you, you've got a little bit of time to rest and relax, a little mini bye week for you. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. There is nothing better than when your team wins on Thursday and you can just sit back, watch football like a normal human being on Sunday, and you just have that whole 10 days to just think about the game, coming off the win. Life is yeah. good. Absolutely. And the Steelers win on Sunday Night Football. Steelers kind of righted the ship a little bit. They still don't look that great at times, but 2-1. and one. Nonetheless, we have a lot to talk about. Right before we went on the air, Rob, I was telling you, I feel like the theme of this week was either blowout blowout victories or upset specials. It was one or the other. There were some close games in there. We'll talk about that, but I feel like we have to talk about the upsets first. Let's start off with the game that I watched. I was very in tune to why, because it was AFC North football, the Baltimore Ravens, the Indianapolis Colts, Gardner Minshew, not Anthony Richardson, Gardner Minshew goes on the road in Baltimore. It was ugly weather. The a tropical storm was moving up the coast in Baltimore. The Colts find a way to win it overtime 22 to 19. This stunned me, and I'm, I'm being completely honest. I was not expecting the Ravens to trip up here. What were your thoughts on this game, Rob? A couple of things. First, like Gardner Minshew is not a bad quarterback. He's probably yeah. better than Anthony Richardson at this point. So I know like the Colts are technically on their backup, but you know I think he's better than Richardson right now. And also, kickers matter. I know no one likes to admit it. Everyone likes to bag on kickers. Matt Gay made four field goals over 50 yards in this game obviously the game winner in overtime kicking matters and good on the Colts like this is a game if you're the Ravens like you gotta beat the Colts in an AFC where every week is going to be really hard the Colts is supposed to be one of your easier weeks I just I don't like Baltimore I don't trust them I don't know what I'm going to get from them every week Justin Tucker had a 60 yard field goal to win the game and it came up short and it's I'm, I'm doing stuff around my house. The Steelers don't play till Sunday night. And they're like, and Justin Tucker's lining up. I was like, this game's over. The Ravens <laughs> are going to win. Like, I mean, I've seriously have lived through this for so many years. Like he came up short. I was absolutely stunned. And then some of the decisions made in overtime, uh, the, the play calling for the Ravens, instead of just taking what's given, trying to force the ball down the field. Yes. Zay flowers was probably interfered with on that critical um, third down. I think it was third down, but still, a really tough loss for the Baltimore Ravens. These are the games that for a Baltimore team that's thinking about AFC championship aspirations, potentially hanging with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals, even though they're struggling right now, you got to win these games, right? Like This is a really bad loss for Baltimore. It really is. And and like they've got injuries again. Like, man, they really can't get out of their own way with injuries. Like we thought that, you know, Lamar Jackson was going to have this like upgraded group of weapons around him and it's like well zay flowers i guess is a nice player and mark andrews is mark andrews and then the leading receiver is nelson aguilar and it's like <laughs> they just can't it's always a struggle and you feel yeah. like lamar jackson is so good it shouldn't be this hard they had to struggle to score 19 points like man it's got to be frustrating to be a ravens fan what's the common denominator here rob you bring in all these receivers what who's the common denominator it's lamar the and and John Harbaugh. Yeah. Yes, exactly. When you have a head coach that is not an offensive guy, so much of your success depends on your offensive coordinator hire. And sometimes with the Ravens, when they have a good one, it's good. And sometimes when they have Greg Roman, it's a real struggle. And it just seems like maybe Todd Monken, maybe he just needs more time to like get it rolling. I don't know, but it seems like this may be those rough patches for the Ravens. Absolutely. Let's go to another upset special one that was not even close. You know, the Colts and Ravens go to overtime. The Houston Texans against a Jaguars team that was a playoff team last year that everyone had very high hopes for. The Houston Texans blow the doors off the Jaguars 37 to 17. CJ Stroud starting to look like a really, really nice young quarterback for the Houston Texans. What were your thoughts? I saw this final score. I was like, wow, I didn't see that one coming. What were your thoughts? Maybe D'Amico Ryans is not just a product of having a lot of good defenders in San Francisco, right? Like the yeah. Jaguars didn't have a point in this game until the second half. It was 17-0 before Jacksonville even got on the board. And 
you're right. Like we all thought here come the Jags. Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback of my fantasy team. So I was on that train too. Like I really thought they were going to make a momentous leap here. And yet Trevor Lawrence, 40 passes, didn't even hit 300 yards, a touchdown, an interception. Good on D'Amico Ryans. You know, I'm a little biased because, you know, he comes from San Francisco. I cover the Niners. I'm a fan of the Niners. So I want to see him do well. But I don't know, Jacksonville, like maybe you're just not going to take this leap. We always think of progression as linear, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you don't always improve year over year. You take a step back and then maybe you have a bigger jump the year after. They have to write the ship in Jacksonville because you can't lose by 20 to the Houston Texans who are clearly, clearly rebuilding and whose franchise is, is in a different stage of development than you're supposed to be. There are going to be hiccups in the road. Everyone knows that 17 game season, there's going to be hiccups, but the really good teams are the teams that the hiccups are just ugly wins. <laughs> they, right. Or if they lose, it's one of those aberration close games where maybe a lot like Baltimore and Indianapolis that we just talked about, they lost by 20 points in this game. And I know it's a division game. I know that's big deal. It, the, the Texans deserve credit for being able to pull this game out, but there's a lot of question marks about this Jaguars team, which everyone was all really hyped up about Doug Peterson. I think a lot of people are probably questioning him. I think they're going to be okay. Rob, do you agree or disagree? I don't know at this point, like everything I thought, you know, if, why they would be okay. Now I'm kind of questioning like, like why aren't they, doing that now you know it's really weird i mean they gave up a kick return to a fullback they gave up a kick return touchdown <laughs> to a fullback in this game i don't know that i can ever remember that happening before ever it's just it's not coming together right now for the jags it's not cohesive and you know i think it's a team where i'm putting them in the category of they could win every week but they could also lose every week and i don't know if that's necessarily a place you want to be no not at all the upsets continued. And to me, you know, I, I keep on saying like, this one was a big upset. I don't think anyone predicted the Arizona Cardinals having a prayer against the Dallas Cowboys yet. Joshua Dobbs, James Connor, they find a way to win 28 to 16, you know, watching some of this game, the announcers were trying to kind of say, well, you know, Trayvon Diggs gets hurt mid midweek that threw a wrench in the Cowboys plans. I'm not buying that narrative whatsoever. The Cardinals, who have played really good football this season. To be honest, they just haven't been able to finish games. 28 to 16, the Dallas Cowboys, who had scored 70 points in two weeks, struggle. It was a struggle. Rob, thoughts? <laughs> well, I was all set to say you can't really judge the Cowboys because they haven't played anybody, but yet they were, this is the Cardinals we're talking about, a yeah. team that we all think is going to be in the running for the number one pick, and they got whooped. The Cardinals ran the ball 30 times for 222 yards. And we all thought Dallas had this impregnable defense, right? Just, you know, Micah Parsons and all those guys. And the Cardinals stuffed it down their throat. It was unbelievable. And combine that, by the way, with just a sloppy performance by the Dallas Cowboys, who I think, you know, came in probably taking the Cardinals a little light, probably feeling themselves a little bit. But Dallas turned the ball over. And the penalties, 13 penalties for the Cowboys for 107 Jeez. yards. That's a sign of bad coaching. And anyone that's been listening to me at all, anywhere I've been, knows yeah. I am not a fan of Mike McCarthy. I don't think he's a good coach. I don't think he's buttoned up on the details ever. And yet here come the Cowboys with 13 penalties, a game they clearly should win to set themselves up to continue to fight for that number one seed in the NFC. And they just did a favor to the Eagles in their division, and they did a favor to my 49ers because I saw that and I was like, great, because I was worried about my 49ers taking the Cardinals lightly next week. Well, guess what? That's gone now. They just Absolutely. beat the Cowboys. I don't have to worry about that. So that's like a double dip. Thank you, Dallas. In the NFC, which seems like a three-horse race, it, it really does. There's other teams that are competing. Uh, you can talk about some of the other teams that are, you know, like the Detroit Lions as an example. I don't think people are putting them up with the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. Just like we've been mentioning with all of these upsets, these are games that you cannot lose. So here you have an NFC loss, Dallas, Arizona. It's just, it's just awful. It's just an awful loss. Philadelphia, they play Monday night, so we'll see how they do in that contest where they play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But still, man, like this is a game where you just – I don't care if your best defender, and, and that's not even their best defender because Michael Parsons is their best defender. Mm -hmm. Even if your best cornerback, defensive back goes down with an ACL, you can't get 
you can't get your doors blown off like this. You watch this game. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. I mean, Dak Prescott was throwing really bad interceptions, which that's kind of Dak Prescott's thing throughout his career. <laughs> but still, it's a situation where the Dallas Cowboys, again, three-horse race, Philadelphia and San Francisco have an early edge. you got to be feeling good about that. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, the Diggs thing is not an excuse. The Cardinals leading receiver had 86 yards on two catches. Like the secondary was not the problem for the Cowboys. No. The Cowboys, were, they couldn't stop the run. James Conner ran for seven yards a carry. Josh Dobbs ran for 9.2 yards per carry. Rondale Moore ran for 18 yards a carry on three carries. Like they got absolutely drilled on the ground. And that's supposed to be your defensive line your linebackers, and they let the Cowboys down in a big way. And this is going to be for seeding also because common opponents is one of the tiebreakers too. And the Niners are going to play the Cardinals this week. It's just, it's a bad, bad loss for the Cowboys. There's nothing more demoralizing than when you know what the team's going to do. Everyone in the stadium knows what they're going to do, (laughs) and you can't stop it. Like, if the Arizona Cardinals were lined up, they could have just said, hey, we're going to give it to James Conner here. And they just couldn't stop it. And that's what the Dallas Cowboys was. Hey, We'll see how they rebound, but nonetheless, that's a huge upset, and a hu- it will have implications in the NFC for sure. Let's talk about some of the close games. Some of the games that were a little bit closer in terms of the final score before we get to the blowouts, which there were plenty of those as well. Let's start with Sunday Night Football. Sunday Night Football, Pittsburgh Steelers go to Las Vegas. They hadn't beaten the Raiders on the road since 1995. Wow. Whether it was L.A., whether it was Oakland, doesn't matter. 1995, back when Jeff was in middle school, was the last yeah. time that the Raiders and the Steelers, the Steelers beat the Raiders. Steelers were up 23-7 to in the fourth quarter. Looked like this game was over. I got to ask, did you see the Minka Fitzpatrick roughing the passer call? I actually didn't see that, although I heard that people were just losing their minds on social media about it. It was pretty bad. Well, it was it was really soft. If you get a chance to check it out, find it quick on Twitter. It won't take too long to, to check that out. But something that you mentioned on Twitter, because I follow you on Twitter. What is your what was your thought? So the score is 23 to 15. And Josh McDaniels decides to kick a field goal in the waning minutes. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, if Mike Tomlin does this, I am through the roof. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I think you agree with me. What were your thoughts on that decision by Josh McDaniels? Yeah, I mean, the explanation, the decision makes no sense, okay? Because you kick the field goal and you still need a touchdown. Yeah. Now, I get it. A touchdown wins the game as opposed to scoring, going for it on fourth down, scoring the touchdown, and needing the two point conversion to tie it. But I do not understand how coaches do not get this just simple freaking logic, okay? If you kick the field goal there, then you need to, one, kick the ball off, cover the kick properly. Two, stop the other team three straight times. Three, execute the punt return properly, like without getting a penalty and without, you know, fumbling the football on the return. Four, getting the football back and driving all the way down the field. And if all that goes right, you get back to where you already are on fourth down. It's insane, and it's a weird because they kicked the field goal the first time, and the Steelers got a penalty for uh, leverage. Leverage, yeah. And so the Raiders got a first down, and all that ended up really doing was hurting the Raiders because they just spent time off the clock and ended up kicking the same field goal anyway. It's an absurd explanation from Josh McDaniels. If I was a player on that Raiders team, I would have lost my mind. It's so dumb. Why do they do this? I don't. He's not the only one. Coaches do this every single week, and it's absurd to me. Do you chalk this up to mismanaged clock? Because really that's what you're doing is you're playing against the clock the entire time. Do you think this is purely clock mismanagement, or do you think this is also just more game strategy, outthinking yourself? I think that's exactly what Josh McDaniels did. He outthought himself, but it's also some really bad how much time is left and all those things, all those minutiae that you went through. It's going to take time off the clock. What do you think? I think it's if you do the conventional thing and lose, nobody criticizes you for it. If you do the unconventional thing and lose, you get crushed. And now it's starting to change a little bit because you're seeing some of the reaction to this because people are finally coming on board with this idea of like, what are you doing? This is dumb. But Josh McDaniels has been a coach for a long time in this league, even though he's a young guy. He was raised in that old school conservative NFL culture. And I think it was 
hey, I'm going to do the conservative thing, kick the ball off, depend on my defense, we'll get the ball back, and then we can go get a touchdown. And I just think it's fear, honestly. I think coaches are so risk-averse. They always start it with, yeah, but what if we don't get it? But what if we fail, right? They never look at it as what they gain by possibly succeeding. And I, Kyle Shanahan does the same thing many times, and I have screamed about it for seven years because I think that if you coach in your fears, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, yeah. you're not going to win. You're not no. going to win. But I think a lot of these guys just always look at the worst-case scenario. I think that now, though, when you see the culture of the NFL – is changing a little bit. Teams mm-hmm. are getting more aggressive. They're going forward on fourth down. They're going forward on fourth down in their own end. I mean, you look at some of the most aggressive coaches like Dan Campbell. He doesn't care. He's going to take that shot. It's just, I think now people are starting to wake up to, to what you're talking about. But the Steelers uh, win 23 By the way, I just saw the Minka Fitzpatrick roughing the passer. That's absurd. What? I mean, what else is he supposed to do? He doesn't even land on him because he doesn't no. fall on him. He just runs through him. He doesn't lead with his helmet. That's absurd. They said that Minka Fitzpatrick was quoted after the game by saying that the officials told him that Jimmy G ducked his head, and that's why there was contact made to the helmet, and that's why they threw the flag. I don't know what he's supposed to do if a quarterback is ducking because he's about to get hit. What is I, I don't understand. It's eventually going to turn into just shove him to the ground. In he which didn't case, even, yeah. He didn't even really duck his head. He he turned because Minka Fitzpatrick was coming at him like a missile. Yes. But he doesn't even really. It goes down a little. Uh, I think that's man. That yeah. is really bad. I agree. You're gonna have to just like shove him down, or they're just gonna have to call in the grasp. Like as soon as you get your hands on him, it's gonna have to be one or the other. It's crap like that, and I hate it because I hate when people question the integrity of the game. But it's stuff like that which happened. In the fourth quarter, it gave them new life. It gave them a new set of downs, obviously. Mm -hmm. The game changed after that. And all of a sudden, it went from a 23-7 outing to all of a sudden, now it's it's a one-score game again. I hate that. hate that the people question that. Those calls don't help. But we don't want to spend too much time on the Steelers game. Let's go to – this was a tough game to watch. I followed this for a good bit. Patriots, Jets, AFC East action. Zach Wilson continues to be trotted out there as if he's the answer. And uh, your boy Salah said, hey, he gives us the best chance to win. I, I don't buy that. I really don't. If that's so, your roster is fire fire. Come on. <laughs> the, the, the Jets offense just looks completely deflated. And it's not just the quarterback. The players just look like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing out here? 15 to 10 Patriots find a way to win. They needed to win that game in a big way. We get to see the Jets in primetime a ton because <laughs> so the, the league wanted what are your thoughts on this AFC East game? This is just irresponsible. It's it's franchise malpractice by Robert Sala and the Jets to continue to put Zach Wilson out there. You have to make a change. You have to put somebody else. I don't care anybody else on the roster. I don't care if it's a non-quarterback. You know what's going to happen with Zach Wilson out there. We have seen it time and time and time again. I think the Jets had 39 yards of total offense in the first half. 39 Yards, you have a responsibility to your own defense, Robert Sala, to to change it, to put somebody else out there. Because if Zach Wilson is the best you have, then you should be fired. If if that guy is the best, then you should be fired. And if you think he's the best, you should be fired. I'm sorry. Robert Sala and that entire defense should be in Joe Douglas's office, the GM, this morning, demanding that he make a trade immediately. Because if you're the Jets, what you could have done when Aaron Rodgers went down, because, yeah, it sucks he went down, but it was week one, so you had the most possible time to adjust. You should have brought somebody in, whether it's a guy off the street, whether it's a trade, whatever, and you could have started Zach Wilson in the meantime while the person you brought in is learning the system. And I think the Jets have like a week seven bye. It's it's kind of on the earlier side. So then after the bye, you could have put in whoever you got, and maybe you get lucky before the bye and you steal a couple of games. But go look at the Jets' schedule. It's very soft on the back end of the season. I had been saying that when Aaron Rodgers was there. They have a lot of games that potentially are very winnable. They have the Giants. They have Atlanta. They have Houston. They have Washington. Like They have games that they could win. And so I thought if you had got somebody up and running, you would be able to salvage potentially this season. But to continue to throw Zach Wilson out there, it's just insanity. And it, you're going to have a locker room revolt at some point. 
on a day where we already talked about Gardner Minshew, who yes. wins a game on the road in ugly fashion, doesn't matter. You get a Gardner Minshew on this Jets team as a backup, mm-hmm. and he's going to be markedly better than what you're trotting out there right now. And it goes beyond that. Mike White down in Miami, who got some playing time yesterday. Like There are players available. This doesn't have to be the blockbuster trade for Kirk Cousins in Minnesota that everyone's proposing. It doesn't have to be that way. They could probably trade, and I brought this up before, the Steelers have two backup quarterbacks with starting experience in Mason Rudolph and Mitch Trubisky. The Steelers would probably part ways with them with a a mid-round draft pick. So you make that move because you don't want to punt on this entire season. I just don't understand it. I really don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. And like before this week, Jameis Winston was backing up Derek Carr in New Orleans. Now Carr is hurt, so Jameis is in, but... Maybe that, but you didn't know that at the time, not after week one, that wasn't the case. You could have potentially traded for him. This ridiculous idea that no, no, we can't make a move because Zach Wilson is here when he has showed you absolutely nothing. When he's been so bad that you decided to trade all those picks and pay Aaron Rodgers. Now you're telling me this guy could be the guy like those two things do not make sense. It's absurd what is happening in New York. If I was a Jets fan, I would be apoplectic. When you trade for Aaron Rodgers, you're telling everybody this is an all in move. And now you're just punting on everything. That's, and I, I agree with you. The players have to be absolutely livid. And the, the yes. players that chose to go there, the players like Dalvin Cook, the players like uh, Lazier that went from Green Bay because he knew Aaron Rodgers, Randall Cobb, doesn't matter. They all came to the New York Jets because they were told it's it's now. We're going to win now. They've had to be absolutely, Coach, what are we doing? Like, What are we doing? Like, what is it? It doesn't make sense. The Jets are turning into a dumpster fire really quick unless they do something. Hey, must watch TV, I guess. But nonetheless, the Jets lose a really close game to the New England Patriots, a game the Patriots had to have. So I want to give them their props. They make just enough plays to win. Mac Jones, people are really questioning Bill Belichick and what he's thinking with the quarterback position. Um, just, Just a weird, let's talk about them briefly. A weird win for the Patriots, a necessary one, but a weird win. Yeah, I mean, look, they were a stupid Jets decision away from being 0-3. If the Jets had a real quarterback, they might have lost this game. Mac Jones, 15-29, 201 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Just like, eh, okay. Now, he doesn't have the best cast around him. Like, Devontae Parker and Kendrick Bourne were your wide receivers in this game. That's a common thing with the Patriots and the Bill Belichick yeah. era for the most part. Um, I just think this is... The difference between the Patriots and the Jets is that Mac Jones is in a tire fire and Zach Wilson is, right? The Patriots have a solid defense. Bill Belichick knows how to coach defense. And so they can squeeze out wins like this against teams that turn the ball over and don't play well. But, like, are the Patriots a real threat to do anything in the AFC? Absolutely not. No, I don't think so either. All right, let's move on to another close game. This was one-point margin. The, the Green Bay Packers cling, hold on to dear life, and beat the Saints 18 to 17. The Saints lose Derek Carr. Uh, the injury to his throwing shoulder looked really bad when I watched yeah. it live. And some feared that it was going to be surgery. Some say it might be just an AC joint sprain. I think early reports are that he's not going to require surgery, but how long will he be out? You mentioned Jameis Winston already. I, I do think the Saints have to feel a little bit comfortable with the fact that Winston does have starting experience should be able to keep them afloat in what I feel is a very mediocre NFC South division. What are your thoughts on the Saints and the Packers who they needed to win this one as well in the NFC North? I got to put this on the Saints defense, especially when you're playing with the backup quarterback. You have a 17-point lead going into the fourth quarter, and you can't hold it against Jordan Love, a guy that's in his first year as a starter, and, and the defense is supposed to be the strength of your team if you're the Saints. That's bad. That's hideously bad. There is no excuse for losing this game. Like you said, in the division, that's very winnable if you're the Saints. How you gack that up, I do not understand. And here's the Saints drive in the second half. Punt, 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 miss field goal. That's oh. how you blow a 17-point lead. <laughs> that's that's rough. And it, I... Derek Carr, I mean, he hadn't been playing like that great anyways. I mean, he was mm-hmm. winning games, but it, it was not pretty. Their offense is struggling. Jordan Love, week one, everyone was like, this guy's legit. Seems like some defenses might have figured out some tells with him. Kind of comes back down to earth. A very necessary win, though, in a division where you look at the Detroit Lions. They continue to win some games. 
The Packers needed this one. This one, just like the just like the Patriots and Jets that we just talked about, it was a tough game to watch. Like it was just not entertaining. There was a yeah, just kind of like mired in average, mediocre play. But uh, any other thoughts about this game? Well, I think it's great from Jordan Love for this perspective. Like this is a win that it gets you points in the locker room. This is a win yeah. that gets your teammates to love you as a quarterback. A we point. were down by 17 points by three scores in the fourth quarter. We didn't panic. We kept our composure. This guy brought us all the way back. That buys you some credibility. And I, whoever you are as a quarterback, you need that. You need to, your teammates to believe in you so that you could lead them. And it, you're said it, it's a winnable division in the North. Good on the Packers for getting the win. And uh, I don't know what Jordan Love is going to be. But I know that this is a game that just goes in his cap and gets him a little love from the locker room and good for him. Absolutely. Let's go to a team that we've loved to bash so far this year and a coach that you have really loved to bash. And that's the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings have yet to win a game. The Chargers, this is a game they typically lose, but somehow (laughs) they win 28 to 24. I don't know what's more perplexing. The fact that the Chargers have to win these crazy games find a way to win these games or the fact that the Vikings with a pretty talented roster haven't even won yet. They're zero and three. What is the bigger storyline to you, Rob? Um, I am not surprised by what we've seen from the Vikings. They won so many close games last year. Every game last year came down to them trailing in the fourth quarter and Kirk cousins pulled it out of the fire somehow every single week, which I gave him credit for last year. Cause that ain't easy, but that's just not, you can't win like that all the time. You're not going to continue that kind of streak. And so when the Vikings are in close games now and they have been all year long and they haven't won any of them, but for the chargers, like you're up 21 to 10 in the third quarter. It should not come down to you needing a drive from Justin Herbert in the fourth quarter to go and win this game. But of course, Chargers going to charger. So here we are. <laughs> but I do have to admit, like I was happy to see them win. I like Justin Herbert. I really do. I think he's really good. And I just hate to see the chargers play the same game every year for like 15 years it always comes down to chargers down by four late in the fourth they need a drive to go win it seems like it happens every single week herbert 40 of 47 in this game for 405 yards with three touchdowns and no picks that is absurd and oh by the way the chargers ran for 30 yards as a team and 11 of those came from herbert so they did nothing on the ground in this game Keenan Allen have a day 18 catches 215 yards absurd and oh the Chargers have another injury because Mike Williams got hurt in this game and he may be out for a little while but good on the Chargers for getting the win they desperately needed a win to to avoid uh, going to 0-3 themselves and you know I okay they finally pulled one of these out maybe they can build off of it but I'm going to be skeptical until it happens well, yeah, you, you can't rely on your quarterback to go 40 of 47 and your wide receiver to go for over 200 yards every single week. Like, that's just not feasible against the Vikings. And this week it might be. But the Vikings, to me, I, 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 you know, they're a team that's like on the cusp of a complete rebuild. And then you look at Justin Jefferson and you say he's not going to want to sit through that. And so this is going to be really intriguing how the Vikings approach this and what they do. We talked about the possible big-time blockbuster trading of Kirk Cousins. I don't necessarily see that happening, at least not yet. But like you said, Brandon Staley, he gets out of his own way for one week. They avoid the 0-3 start. They're 1-2 and in that division with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be difficult. Nonetheless, a very necessary win. Speaking of another big win for an NFC West team, the Seattle Seahawks find a way to keep their foot on the pedal and win 37 to 27 over the Carolina Panthers. The Seahawks are a tough team for me to figure out. I mean, sometimes it looks like it's just they're slogging through the mud. And then other times it looks like they're actually a high profile team. Tyler Lockett. He is a, I think he's one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL. You were probably watching this game closely considering it's the Seahawks. What were your thoughts on this matchup? I was definitely hoping that maybe Carolina could pull this out at one point because it it wasn't like a runaway, even though Seattle scored 37 points. I mean, the game was 13-12 Carolina at halftime. So, yeah, I definitely had my eye on this. The Seahawks, to me, are just a very high-variance team. High ceiling, low floor. When they're going right and Geno's throwing dots deep all around the field, they can look really good. DK Metcalf, six catches, 112 yards. Like They can be a very good team, but when they 
struggle, they can be very, very bad. Their floor is a really bad team, especially when they can't run the balls. I think that was the difference in this game. They ran it 33 times for 146 yards. When they can run the ball, they can really put up a lot of points, and they were able to do it in this game against Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton threw the ball 58 times in the game for 361 (laughs) yards and two touchdowns. That's crazy to me, but good on the Seahawks. Like, see, this is the difference. The Cowboys lost the game. They absolutely couldn't lose. It would have been a bad loss if Seattle lost to the Carolina Panthers, but they got their stuff together at halftime and they corrected and Seattle scored 25 points in the second half of this game to win 37, 27. The red rocket, Andy Dalton returns and chucks it up 50 plus times. That is not a recipe. It's not a recipe for success in the NFL ever, especially with Andy Dalton, the one throwing the passes. Seattle Seahawks find a way they stay relevant in the NFC West. And I would say in the NFC picture and as a whole big win for them, like you said, comparative to the Cowboys, they win those games. that might be a little bit ugly. Now let's get to the blowouts, the games that were not close, the game, like the Miami dolphins and the Denver Broncos, which I played a ton of Broncos in my daily fantasy league. And I paid dividends, but I wasn't alone. They put up 70 points. Rob, they could have easily put up close to 100. I mean, you watch this game, and the Broncos looked as if they just were, as we're done. I, I don't even know who the offensive lineman was that gave the, the sound bite after the game where they said, what are your thoughts? He goes, we suck. I've, I've been here for seven years. All I've done is lose. I hate it. Like, I can't stand it. Like, this is what Sean Payton is inheriting. It is a team that is having a negative culture. The culture has gone from you know, the Peyton Manning Super Bowl team to this, and that is perennial loser. Not really what you're used to seeing with the Denver Broncos, but let's put the Broncos to the side for a second and talk about this Miami offense. They did whatever they wanted. Run it? Sure. Do we want to do it outside of uh, Mostert? Yeah, that's fine. We'll get other people involved. Throw it? Yeah. This Miami team, and I think I might have said this before, our, our show we did before the season, I said, I think there might be the sneaky AFC powerhouse if they can continue to do this and Tua can stay healthy, and they didn't even have Jalen Waddle, Rob. They didn't have right. Jalen Waddle. <laughs> Go I mean, ahead. It's a Madden game. This is a Madden rage quit game. If you were playing 70 to 20, this is the second highest scoring game of all time. And here's the thing they could have set the all time scoring record. They were in field goal range at the end of the game, and Mike McDaniel decided to just take a knee. Because he said, oh, we're not here to embarrass people. It's like, dude, it's already 70 to 20. He scored 70 points. You have 10 touchdowns. You have 10 touchdowns. The the embarrassment is over. I would have kicked the field goal, but whatever. But, I mean, it's absurd. It is absurd when you look at the numbers in this game. They passed for 376 yards. They ran for 350 yards in the game on 43 attempts. That's eight yards per carry it's just an absurd performance by mike mcdaniel i don't know how i want to say this so so mike mcdaniel was only in his second year as a head coach and teams they have not caught on to what mike mcdaniel is doing he is he is so far ahead of the defenses in terms of what he's doing offensively and you combine that with the fact that the dolphins have blinding speed everywhere at all their skill positions on offense and they are just running circles around people right now and you're right. As long as Tua stays healthy, they look like an absolute offensive juggernaut in the AFC. 70 points. Like, I had to check the score three times as I'm on Twitter. I'm like, is this, did something break? Like, what happened there? That's absurd. <laughs> There's a glitch in the matrix, I think. No, I mean, it's, I, I'm watching the game. And again, I'm, I'm just looking at the Broncos and I'm like, what is this team? Like, this is like a shell of what we expect from the Denver Broncos. Like, they're normally a defensive team, they're physical. It was not like they were everything but that. And it wasn't like you said that Miami was just kind of, they were just having their way. They were doing whatever they wanted. No field goals. They scored 10 touchdowns. Like this is absolute insanity. We do have to talk about the Sean Payton led Broncos though. Mm -hmm. You have to be, if I'm a Broncos fan, is there, is there anything worse that could happen? Like this team is off to a dreadful start and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon in that division. No, I look, there was always this potential, right? I don't know what the hell is going on with Russell Wilson. I don't ever remember seeing a quarterback perform at one level with one team, get traded without an injury 
in an age where he's not, you know, he's not 45 years old here playing for Denver. And it's like, he forgot how to play quarterback. It's like he, he, it's like the monsters came down and sucked out all of his talent. When he went to Denver, he looks like a completely different person. And Sean Payton, I, I don't ever think that Sean Payton was all in on Russell Wilson. And I just feel like it's getting worse and worse and worse. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Russell Wilson was benched at some point this year. What, what a, what a damning statement that would be because they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot to Seattle to get him and man, 70 to 20, 70 to 20. <laughs> I just, I can't get over that. Like that, that was one of those games where every time I looked, or every time I listened, it was dolphins, touchdown, dolphins, touchdown, dolphins, touchdown, just insane. Let's go to another blowout game. Cleveland Browns, Tennessee Titans in Cleveland, Cleveland coming off the Monday night loss to Pittsburgh where Deshaun Watson didn't look good. They lost Nick Chubb for the rest of the season with a horrific knee injury. They look really dominant against the Tennessee Titans. And not that that's saying much, but when you're still talking about DeAndre Hopkins, you're still talking about Derrick Henry. You're talking about a Tennessee team that is still competitive. Cleveland wins 27 to three. Deshaun Watson looks much better than he did in week two against Pittsburgh. Maybe that speaks more to Tennessee's defense. I'm not sure. What were your thoughts after the Browns' 27-3 win? First of all, would it blow your mind to know that Cleveland was winning 13-3 at halftime in the game? Yeah, like, I, I was I was following this game, and I, at one point like, it was kind of close. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like a blowout game. And then Cleveland's defense. I mean, they sacked Ryan Tannehill three and a half times. The Titans had 94 yards in the game. 94. That is hideously bad. Derrick Henry, 11 carries for 20 yards. What what are the Titans doing? Like, what is their, where are they as a team? Derrick Henry's getting older. There were reports that they wanted to trade him. They drafted Will Levis in the second round. Like, what, what are they? Just decide. Like, if you want to rebuild, then get rid of Derrick Henry and put Levis in and do it. But, like, this weird, like, well, we're trying to compete because we kind of have Ryan Tannehill and sometimes we win games. It's just, it's just bad. And like you said, Deshaun Watson bounced back. The Cleveland's defense is scary good. Jim Schwartz has that unit playing at a fantastic level. Obviously, Miles Garrett's a complete game wrecker. And, you know, I don't want to hear the Cowboys talking about how the Trayvon Diggs injury, you know, threw them off this week because the Browns lost Nick Chubb, which apparently, though, the news on Chubb is actually better than they thought. It appears to only be an MCL injury, which is insane. How that's possible, I have no idea, by the way. It's, the, yes. knee, the knee doesn't bend that way. They wouldn't when the TV networks don't show it because it's too grisly. That's how you know it's bad. But that's relatively speaking, good news for Nick good Chubb. News, yeah. But the Browns, you know, they didn't let that get him down. They bounced back in this game, twenty-seven to three, an absolutely dominant victory for them. And man, they need just for their own sanity, they need Deshaun Watson to look closer to the guy he looked like this week, right? When you two weeks ago, when he was looking bad, everybody just throws up those guaranteed contract numbers and cap hits for the next four years, and it just looks so hideously bad. So at least for one week, the Browns got good Deshaun, and with that defense, you're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, this coming off a week when Deshaun Watson was fined over $50,000 for penalties against the Steelers on Monday night, none of which included shoving an official. But let's talk about this from a storyline perspective. Is the storyline more, in your opinion, the Titans floundering? or the Browns bouncing back and looking better in week three? Um, I think the storyline is the Browns bouncing back okay. just because of Deshaun and that contract and what he's got there. And the fact that like, this was supposed to be the, the good Deshaun, right? He had, he came back last year, but he was away for a long time. And so we kind of gave him that little grace period, but this was it. You're supposed to hit the ground running. If you're Cleveland, no excuses, be the guy that was in the conversation for best quarterback in the league. The last time we saw you at, you know, full speed and uh he looked he wasn't at that level but he looked much much better yeah i agree the browns are going to be a tough out for any team they're going to be competitive for sure they're going to be competitive all right let's go to another blowout win the bills washington commanders buffalo 37 to 3 all the good vibes the commanders had going as they were 2 and 0 entering this game didn't last long as josh allen and the bills had their way with the commanders uh the, the buffalo loss in week one seems definitely more like an aberration. I mean, when you watch the way they lost to the jets in week one, you get it, but the bills have looked great back to back weeks. Have they turned the corner? I hope so because I, I like good Josh Allen. I don't like crazy reckless. What the hell is he doing? Josh Allen. <laughs> and the thing I liked about this win, right? You won by 34 points. 
Josh Allen, 20 of 32, 218 yards, one touchdown. He did have an interception. He only ran the ball three times. Now he ran for 46 yards, which is nice. But it wasn't like, oh, Josh Allen had to do everything. It was just like, hey, you have the better team. You have the better roster. Don't shoot yourselves in the foot and do stupid, crazy things. And you can blow teams out. And I feel like that's a lesson that Josh Allen like needs to realize and learn and internalize. You have a really good team. You don't have to be Superman all the time. Yeah. And when they, again, I I say this all the time with the Steelers, when they can stay balanced and have a running game and it's not all on Josh Allen to throw and run and do everything. That's when you avoid the reckless Josh Allen. That's when he looks like the franchise quarterback they paid him to be. If the bills would just realize that they need to actually build up that running game, that's when they could be some really scary good and be an actual competitive team and not a team that just continues to never live up to the proverbial hype. So the bills, they do what they're supposed to do. Sam Howell and the commanders. That was a rough outing. That, that was a tough go of it. Four interceptions for Sam Howell, only 170 yards in the day. And I, I don't think we could say like, Oh, Sam Howell is not going to be good. Like, no, Buffalo is really good. And when you're a young quarterback, you're going to have those days. Most of the time, some, you know, like those are things that happen. So I don't want to use this as a referendum on Sam Howell. Washington's in a different stage of their team building than Buffalo. Buffalo's competing for Super Bowls. Washington competing for playoffs. Like that's that's just they're in two different spots. And you know, I think Sam Howell will be better going forward. I don't think Washington is a terrible team by any stretch of the imagination, but they are not on the level of the Bills and we saw that on Sunday. I agree. 100%. A tough game to gauge here next. Let's go to the Detroit Lions beating the Falcons 20 to 6. Lions have been an up and down team. The Falcons, they looked like they were going to be NFC South, uh, you know, really up up there in terms of competing for the division title. And they, they couldn't do anything. Like, the running game, Bijan Robinson doesn't matter. Desmond Ritter doesn't look like the quarterback that can just, hey, don't worry about it. We can't run the ball. I will, I will throw us down the field. That's not going to be the way that they work. Meanwhile, the Detroit Lions, they seem to be still moving the ball with the offense. Defense did the job this week. What are your thoughts on this NFC game? The Lions are so much less than the sum of their parts, right? We like Drake London. We think Drake London's a pretty good receiver. We like Kyle Pitts at tight end. We think he's incredibly talented. Obviously, B. John Robinson's really incredible at running back, a special player. And yet, they have all these pieces, and they just never impress you. They're never good. It's always B. John Robinson breaks four tackles and runs the ball on a screen pass. Like, It should be easier if you're Atlanta. I have real questions about Arthur Smith and just how he's putting together game plans for that team. Desmond Ritter, I'm sorry. Right now, he doesn't look like he belongs as a starting quarterback in the league. He absolutely doesn't. And credit to the Lions because this is a game that you just had to handle your business. Doesn't have to be pretty, but if you're going to be the Lions and you're going to compete for an NFC North crown and maybe more in the NFC and you're the team that everyone's hyping up because you're supposed to be so good, you can't lose this game. And they absolutely didn't. 20 to 6. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. I don't care if they didn't blow out Atlanta. No problem. I don't care about style points in the NFL. Good on the Lions. You were at home. Handle your business. Doesn't have to be pretty. They got in, they got out, and they move on, and they're two and one. So that's that's a great sign for a Lions team that I think is maturing in their development. And just for the Falcons, like just terrible. You you, you should be way better than this. And I I have to put that on the coaching. Well, the Falcons, I always ask my, like, what are you doing? Like, you're trying to build this offense that is, we're going to line up and run it right down your throat, which in theory is fine if it was the 1990s. And if you didn't have defenses that say, okay, you want to run it down our throat, we stop you, your quarterback's going to beat us. And like you just said, is Desmond Ritter that guy? Early returns might suggest no. Not saying that's definitive and that's going to be where he goes. He could definitely turn it around. But early returns show that he's not that guy. So this is what you saw. The Detroit Lions stopped the run. That's how the Atlanta Falcons want to control the game. They want to control the clock, time of possession, and move the ball on the ground. They didn't do it. And so then it goes to Desmond Ritter, six total points. That's all you need to know. Their backup in Atlanta is Taylor Heineke. Does anyone think that the offense would be significantly worse with Taylor Heineke in a quarterback? I don't. I think there's a good chance it's it's better. At worst, I think it's just as good. I just... It, they should be better. It shouldn't be this difficult. They have good pieces there. Why aren't they better as a unit? They'll never pull the plug on Ritter, even though he wasn't. He was a third-round draft pick. Like It's yeah. not like he's a first-round pick. They won't pull the plug on him just yet, but I, I, I agree. Tyler Henneke would be a lot better. You're paying the dude like $10 million a year. 
put him in there and see if it gets any better. Can't get any worse. Six points. All right, let's go to the final game of the week. The, the Chiefs and the Bears, which you want to know about this game. There was more talk about Taylor Swift being in a, in a press box with uh, Travis Kelsey's mom than there was about anything that pertained to being on the football field. That was the narrative after this game. Patrick Mahomes is answering questions about Taylor Swift. Shoot me now, but this game ends Kansas City Chiefs 41, Bears 10. I don't know if there's a worse team in the league than the Chicago Bears, or maybe say this, a worse organization than the Bears because the the Bears have obviously seems like they've swung and missed on Justin Fields. They make that absolutely atrocious trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers for Chase Claypool, who... I don't even know. I think he might have led them in receiving with like 15 yards. If I remember correctly, <laughs> I saw the stat line. Um, so he was the number one receiver for them. I don't know. This to me doesn't say anything about the chiefs. It's everything about the bears because they, they're just, they're just so bad. It's so bad. Justin Fields was 11 of 22 for 99 yards, 50% completions for under a hundred yards. And this is not Justin Fields year one here. Like, can we just say it? The kid can't play. He can't play. Like, I know that everyone loved him coming out of college, and I know that he has physical tools. He hasn't just been bad as a passer. He's been among the worst that we have seen in recent history in the NFL. He can't play. And it's some guys, like, draft status means so much to some people. Sam Darnold is still getting friggin' chances to play in the league because he was the third overall pick back in the day. Justin Fields, like nobody wants to say it because they all like the tools and they all had him rated highly coming out. He can't play. The And, you know, we're, everybody was quick to bang on Trey Lance after four starts that he's terrible, right? Well, how many starts has it been for Justin Fields? And he's been way worse than Trey Lance has ever been. Just admit it. Dude ain't it. That's enough. Like we have seen enough to know we have seen too much. Before it was coaching, they got a new coach. Then it was, we need weapons. They got more weapons, right? And what is it now? Eventually, at some point, it has to be Justin Fields' fault. Did Did you see his quote during the week? I mean, where he was asked about what do you think's wrong with the offense? He said coaching. What? And then he he clarified it later. He, you know, he, I'm sure he did. The whole thing is a disaster. It is a disaster in Chicago, and it's just like here we go. So they're going to have another top pick. They're zero and three already. They're going to have a top pick if Caleb Williams comes out like. Are you really not going to draft Caleb Williams because you have Justin Fields? That would be another mistake if you're the Bears. You talk about the Titans. Like, what are you doing? Like, wh- where are you right now? I mean, the, the Bears, like, what are you doing? Like, I mean, they're off that they, they've spent, you know, DJ Moore goes there, what, to die? In that offense? Like, it's seriously, it's, it's just atrocious. I do want to say Chiefs put up 41 points. They do what they're supposed to do against a mm-hmm. subpar team. They're, Obviously, the cream of the crop in that AFC West, maybe with the Chargers, that's going to be a fun one to watch and see how it plays out. But, man, the Bears are bad. They are just really, really bad. And they're not even running Justin Fields. Like, that's the other thing. That's the best thing he does. He's one of the best running quarterbacks in the entire league. And he had 11 carries in this game, which was a little more than he's had. But, like, you've got to to utilize that. He can't throw the ball. Just run the hell out of him. What he had, like, what did he have last year, rushing wise? As I look it up, eleven hundred rushing yards last yeah. year. Do something, do something, because what you're doing right now is not working. Well, and it's not like they would even say, "Oh, but we can't, we can't afford to get him to hurt," because then what would we do with the passing game? He can't throw the ball anyway, so you might as well right. use him like a running back. Look at what they did with Taysom Hill down in the Saints, like with the Saints when he was the quarterback for a brief minute. Do that, hey, see if you can stop it. Let's see. I don't know. Let's take a quick look at the Monday night games tonight. I know there's one that you're going to be watching closely. as a doubleheader again. Eagles, Buccaneers, and then Rams, Bengals at 815. I know you're going to be watching both these games. Actually, probably the Eagles because NFC powerhouse and then the Rams, NFC West. What do you think about these two matchups? Well, you know, the Eagles have had a lot of adjustments. They have two new coordinators. They're replacing seven starters on defense. And people have been like, oh, what's up with the Eagles? It's like, well, they're kind of adjusting to some new stuff, but they're still winning games. That, to me, is the mark of a good team. So there have been some Niner fans that have been saying like, oh, you know, Philly's down. They're regressing, whatever. And I'm just sitting there like, no, I think maybe they're getting wins while they're figuring it out. So I'm going to be watching very closely to see, you know, what does Jalen Hurts look like? And also Tampa Bay, like, hey, they're 2-0. and And they have good pieces there, too. Like, Mike Evans can play. Baker Mayfield has ability. 
And I think it's safe to say he's probably playing with the best supporting cast he's ever had. So maybe Baker can be closer to the guy he was, you know, his first year with the Browns when he set the rookie touchdown pass record. So I got my eye on that game for sure. And then Rams Bengals, like Rams are better than I thought they've been. And I don't like that. I don't like any competition for my team. I want everybody around my team to lose all the time. So I will be a big Cincinnati fan. I don't like what's going on with Joe Burrow. This, I, it just feels like maybe this is a lost year for Cincinnati. Burrow got hurt right before the year. You know, maybe sometimes that happens where just the stars don't align for you and it could be a lost year. At a time where the whole division in the AFC North is two and one heading into this Monday night game, mm-hmm. they cannot go 0 and three. Like the Bengals being at home, like you got to win this game in prime time. And they're wearing their hideous all white uniforms, I think. What? And so, whoa, 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 whoa. Those jerseys are fantastic. What are you talking about? It's the helmets. I don't like the helmets. Oh. I, I'm not a fan of the white on black. It looks like a zebra. It looks they're like I'm watching so... zebras running around the field. <laughs> you're so you look, look, you're talking to somebody who just spent most of his Sunday at the Philadelphia Zoo. I was checking out some zebras. <laughs> I love those Cincinnati Bengals jerseys. That, did you me, like them? Did you like the Browns all whites on Monday Night Football? No, the Browns don't have any good jerseys. There's nothing good about the Browns from a logo <laughs> slash jersey perspective, and there has never been. By the way, that they have the worst jersey logo history ever. You don't like the giant elf that spans like 35 yards in the middle. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know what the hell that thing is. Like, what? What even? Why? Why is an elf your logo? You're named after Paul Brown. Like, I don't get any of it. I don't either. But anyways, it's been a great show. Rob, tell everyone where they can find you on FFSN in terms of your San Francisco 49ers coverage. So we're the Gold Standard Podcast Network. We have, obviously, anywhere you get your audio podcast, we are there. Just search Gold Standard 49ers. We pop right up. We also have a YouTube channel, Gold Standard Network. Fire that up. It's all the 49er coverage you could possibly want. We have short form shows to get you caught up on the news. We have long form shows every single day. So whatever angle you want to come at it from, we got you covered. Absolutely. You can find my work on the steel curtain network, go to steel curtain network.com for our website. You can check us out on our audio, YouTube, etc. Just by searching steel curtain network, you can find me on Twitter at J Hartman, H A R T M A N underscore P I T. Rob, as always, it's been a lot of fun breaking down the week that was. We'll talk after week four. Take it easy. Thanks, Jeff.